So good to be in the platform with Dan again and to be here and uh, sharing in this time of worship with you uh, at College Hill. I, I, so many of you I know, and there's a lot of folks that I don't know. I'm Erwin uh, Godeke, and uh, my association with College Hill goes back actually quite a ways uh, to the 1980s. My wife and I we're married here in this church. My wife Suzanne is here. We were married here 41 years, 351 days ago. <laughs> so it is, uh, it's a delight to share with you. And I pastored at North Church, which is right down the hill, for almost 34 years. And so I've been in touch with College Hill and especially through your connection with, um, the, uh, mission in Kenya with Lucy Gasheru, uh, the uh, Hope Community Center, over the years. It is, I love this sermon uh, series that you're in, walking through the book of Acts and the title that Drew has given it, how it started and how is it going. And when I first saw that title, when I first heard those words, I, it, I wondered, you know, what is it? <laughs> How, how what started and how what is going and the most obvious answer is that it's the church, right? Because the book of Acts features the story of how the church is established in Jerusalem and then spreads throughout the Mediterranean world of the first century. But if you've read through Acts, and I'm sure that many of you have, you may have noticed that from the very first verses in Acts, when Jesus appears to the disciples before Pentecost, to the very last chapter of the book of Acts, in fact, the very last verse in the book of Acts, when Paul is under house arrest in Rome, there is this focus on the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, says Jesus appeared to the disciples, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And then in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, Paul, it says, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without And so really, the book of Acts is about the beginning of the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom to the ends of the earth, as Jesus said. And the question of how that is going is really interesting and one that kind of want to explore a little bit through this story that we come to in Acts chapter 17, which is very telling about how it started and how it's going. I'll be reading from the the version that you're used to, which is the New English version, and it will be on the screen. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to read along or follow along as I read. Now when they, and that's Paul and Silas, that's who the they is, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, 
where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews, and in many versions of the ESV, there's a little footnote there that says when it's referring to the leaders of the Jewish population, the religious leaders. When the Jews were jealous, some, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The word of the Lord. Gracious God, we do pray that this word uh, would uh, speak to us through your spirit, through the words that I say uh, to our circumstances today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love verse 6, <laughs> that phrase in there that says, These are the men who are turning the world upside down. That's such a, a vivid word picture, isn't it? The world turned upside down. And it might be something that, that we can identify sometimes with. Because sometimes we might feel that way. Like our world has been or is being turned upside down. And I don't, I don't mean the usual hard stuff that comes into all of our lives. You know, illness and the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one or a car accident or a broken relationship or a betrayal or even a, a house fire or a tornado. I mean, because these are all terrible, horrible, no good, bad things. But, but in a sense, they're kind of normal, aren't they? I mean, everybody experiences these kinds of things at some point. Eventually, but somehow we push through them. As my 94-year-old mother-in-law still likes to say, this too shall pass. And what I'm talking about is, is something that rocks the very foundations of our world. Something that makes you think that maybe there's something horribly out of whack 
with the world or maybe with my life. Kind of like what happened on 9-11 in 2001 when those planes hit the Twin Towers. Or maybe maybe like the housing and financial crisis of 2008. You all remember that? When all of a sudden, over 30% of the homeowners in the United States were, what did we call it? Upside down (laughs) in their mortgages, which means they owed more on their house than what their house was worth. And it made a lot of people wonder, I mean, what's really upside down here? Is it my mortgage or is it the way in which um, loans were made and investment in the housing market happened? The people of Ukraine, I'm sure, feel like their world has been turned upside down and in many other places in the world as well, right? War does that to people. And like every generation, I think probably from the beginning of time, especially now in this global, interconnected, civilized world, we wonder, how can this be happening again? Or after the death of George Floyd in in 2020... For, for many people, maybe for some of us, it felt as if our world was being turned upside down. Because we, here we thought we had gotten past, you know, these um, issues of race that we've made some progress. And then all of a sudden there's unrest everywhere. Or maybe that summer just opened our eyes to how the world was already upside down and out of whack in so many ways and we just didn't see it before. These moments of of when our world is shaken really raises a question, doesn't it, of what's upside down and what's right side up. And it seems that it depends a lot on the perspective of who's saying it. In our text in Acts chapter 17, it is some of the good citizens of the city of Thessalonica who are saying, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Can you hear the anxiety in their voice as they're saying that? What a dramatic flourish of rhetoric. And how ironic coming from the very people who started a riot. (laughs) who set the city in an uproar, as the text says. This crowd who stir, which was stirred up by the religious leaders who felt threatened by Paul and Silas, a crowd that was made up in part of wicked men of the rabble. The New International Version calls them bad characters in the marketplace. <laughs> Eugene Peterson's version, the message says, they're brawlers off the streets. A mob is what Luke calls them in Acts chapter 17. And it's not too far of a stretch to call them a lynch mob. 
because what they wanted to do was to find Paul and Silas and drag them out of the house and it says, give them to the crowd. (laughs) That's who's accusing the believers of turning the world upside down. So what in the world could Paul and Silas have been doing that led to that charge? It's it's helpful and important to understand that the phrase upside down in this passage is not just a colorful expression. It's actually just a single word in the language of the New Testament that means to stand up against. And in the Roman world of the time, it was used to those who stood up against the powers to be, those who were inciting revolt and rebellion. See, throughout the Roman Empire of that time, there there were these bands of Jewish freedom fighters. I'm sure it felt to the Roman citizens like they were terror cells. These bands of Jewish freedom side fighters, the Bible calls them zealots, who were part of a number of militant messianic movements that kept popping up throughout um, the empire. In fact, it was just five years before Paul gets to Thessalonica that the emperor Claudius had expelled many Jews from the city of Rome with that same charge against them. So when the leaders of the synagogue, along with his mob that they stirred up, came before the city magistrates, what they were accusing Paul and Silas of was being outside agitators who were engaged in subversive and seditious activity. And when they said they're turning the world upside down, it's so interesting, they didn't use the more common word that we're familiar with, cosmos, which refers to kind of the place, the physical place. But they used another term, oikumene, from which we get our word economy. It was a political word, and it referred to the civilized inhabited world of the Roman Empire, the whole structure and system and society and culture which it represented it. And what that word actually meant was our world. (laughs) They're turning our world, the world that we have built for ourselves. And so their charge was these outsiders are coming in and they're stirring up revolt and possibly working at the overthrow of our our system, our civilization. And the proof of that is they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. And they're saying there's another king named Jesus. So do you catch what's happening here? The religious leaders were using the political anxiety of the time to protect their own interests and privileges. And they did that to such great effect that the people, all the people of the city and the city authorities were disturbed when they had the, heard those things and Paul and Silas had to leave. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that scenario just kind of sells, sends chills up and down my spine because it sounds familiar. Have we ever done that? I'm not pointing my finger at the religious right or the religious left because the truth is that religious people in general have often used political anxiety, political realities, political power, political leverage to protect their own interests and privilege. So what did Paul and Silas do (laughs) that led to them being accused of turning the world upside down. They didn't form a pro, organize, uh, they didn't organize a protest. They didn't form a non-profit agency. They didn't start a city transformation movement. They didn't try to get Jason elected to the city council. They didn't try to ban the books that they didn't like in the library. They didn't try to take back the country. And I'm not saying that all those things are necessarily bad to do. I'm just saying that's not what their MO was. That wasn't their strategy. All they did was proclaimed a message that there is another king named Jesus. And they claimed that the way that this Jesus entered into his kingship was by suffering and dying and being raised again from the dead. In other words, it is true that they proclaimed another king and another kingdom. A kingdom that has sometimes been referred to by theologians and preachers as the upside-down kingdom of God. Where the first are last and the least are greatest. Where leaders do not lord it over or profit from those they lead but serve and sacrifice for them. Where prostitutes and sinners get into the kingdom before the self-proclaimed saints and the movers and shakers. Where mustard seed faith is enough to move mountains. Where the way that you find true life is not by self-actualization or following your bliss or living your truth, but by dying to yourself and living to Christ. Where the way that you get even with your enemy is not by conquering them or getting revenge on them, but by blessing and praying for and loving them. And where that kingdom is not built by the effectiveness and industry of the church, but is received as a gift and the fruit of faith. Because that kingdom was not established by a conquering hero, but by a suffering servant. And that turns everything that the world believes on its head, including here in the 21st century. Here, or it's the 22nd century. What century are we in? Even here in America, it's as true as it was 
in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. The truth is that the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom reveals that the world that we live in is already upside down. And that when we demonstrate and walk out the ways of the kingdom, we're turning the world, or maybe just a little piece of it, right side up again. The gospel reveals that the world is already upside down. And our proclamation, our walking out of that good news, turns it right side up a little bit. And you better believe that when we do that, the upside down world is going to push back against us. So that's how it started. (laughs) That's how this, with this proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God... With resistance, and there's still resistance. And so the question is, how's it going? How's it going in turning the world right side up? It's so interesting to discover what happened in Thessalonica after Paul and Silas left. We know that there was a church planted there, right? Because within a year after Paul and Silas left, he's writing a letter back to them, a letter of encouragement to to the group of believers there, and we have that letter in our scriptures. It's called First Thessalonians. And eventually, Thessalonica becomes a Christian city after the emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in 312 A.D. and declared that the whole Roman Empire was now a Christian uh, empire in much the same way that people claim that America is a Christian nation. And it remained that way until about 1430 A.D. when the Ottoman Empire, which of course was from Turkey, which was Muslim, came and took control of the city and many of the churches in Thessalonica were converted into mosques. And they stayed that way until the early 1900s when the Ottoman Empire withdrew from there. Throughout those centuries, there was still a a solid Christian presence there. And today, Thessalonica is a modern Greek city, cosmopolitan, diverse, certain amount of Christian influence, a lot like Cincinnati or any of our cities here in the United States in terms of culture and influence. And so, did Paul and Silas and the early church really turn the city of Thessalonica upside down or right side up? Well, yes, because the history of the city changed after they preached the kingdom of God. And what Paul wrote to the church there in 51 A.D., is still true. He said in his letter to the church there, so you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia for the word of God has sounded forth from you and in every place your faith in God has become known. 
in Thessalonica today. There are some grand old Orthodox and Catholic churches that are living the sacramental life. And there are little evangelical multiracial fellowships like Zoe Thessalonica, which means life Thessalonica, that are sharing the love of Jesus on the streets. That message from the little group of believers in Thessalonica spread throughout the Middle East, throughout the world. We heard it, right? And every place where that word sounds forth, as Paul said, and every place where that faith is lived out as an example, a little bit of the world is turning right side up and through you here in College Hill. Amen? I invite you to to join me in prayer as we lift up the church and lift up particular folks um, in prayer. in particular, want to remember to pray for uh, Anne Rainey, who is in hospice care at Drake, and uh, Jackie Kalubi, who is leaving, I think this week, for a mission trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I'm sure there are many other things that are on your hearts for yourselves, for your family, for your church, for your community. Let's join together in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the good news of the kingdom of God and the way it turns our hearts upside down, for the way that it uh, brings to light what we would like to hide. And it does that so that we might be healed, that we might be made whole. And it equips us and it empowers us to share that good news with others. We pray this morning for Jackie as she gets ready to go to uh, the DRC and show the practical love of Jesus to some of the least of these. We pray, Lord, for for you to be with her on her journey every uh, mile of the way. And that you would especially be with her there in that place as she gets to see family and as she gets to um, lead that ministry. We pray that you would give her connections, that <laughs> good connections at airports and good connections with people there on the ground that will advance uh, the work of your kingdom. And we pray for your protection upon her and your grace and blessing for her. And we lift up to you, Anne, uh, Lord, as she comes to the end of her earthly journey. We thank you for her love and her faith and the way in which that has um, warmed our hearts, so many folks. We pray for uh, you to be closer to her than her own breath, that you would give peace and comfort and strength to Alan as well. We lift up to you all those who uh, we know that need your touch in a special way, whether they're 
are new things that have come into their life that are to be celebrated into their families or uh, challenges that are ongoing. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would be manifested by your presence and by your word through your Holy Spirit to them. And Lord, we pray that for your people throughout the world in every place, here in College Hill, here in Cincinnati, um, in in places where things are going okay and in things where it just feels like the world has been shattered. We pray that your people would be a light that shines, that brings uh, glory to our Father in heaven, that turns hearts and minds to you and allows the world to turn towards you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.